The Durable Restoration Company is a proud sponsor of Berguin Wright Presents. At Durable Restoration, they specialize in exterior historic restoration services. All of their craftspeople and artisans are employees and trained in-house using traditional materials, tools, and techniques that are tried and true. They have a long list of historic landmarks across the nation that they are proud to have helped preserve for future generations. For all your upcoming restoration needs, contact Durable Restoration at DurableRestoration.com or call toll-free at 1-877-340-9182. Two guns, ten paces, bruised egos, and a willingness to step beyond the law. That's all it took to stage a duel in colonial and antebellum America. In today's divisive political climate, people will crudely joke that the duel should make a comeback as a means of settling differences in the digital age. A way to drag people out of the comment sections to face their enemies the quote-unquote old-fashioned way. But dueling didn't accomplish what history and hindsight might give it credit for. Dueling was not a legal form of settling disputes that would grant its victor admiration and respect. It was a private contest between two people who believed the only way to protect their honor was to serve justice with a bullet. Whether it was over a political slight or a woman's heart, Duels were born out of anger, and they ended in infamy, neither of which are remembered fondly by history. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Berguin Wright Presents Cape Fear Legends and Lore, a podcast series telling the stories of North Carolina's Cape Fear region through the history of one of its oldest historic sites. My name is Hunter Ingram. I'm the Assistant Museum Director for the Berguin Wright House and Gardens here in Wilmington, and I'm your host for this podcast. This season on Berguin Wright Presents we are cracking open the essential local history text, Stories Old and New of the Cape Fear Region, published in 1956 by famed historian Lewis T. Moore. Each episode, we take a chapter from the book and interrogate the fact and fiction of that story as told by Lewis. What's true, and what's fabrication for the sake of a good story? This season, we're going to get to the bottom of why these stories have survived for centuries in some cases, and what they say about the Cape Fear today. This episode, we're gathering our seconds, and we are stepping back in time to talk about a famous duel fought at Brunswick Town in the years before the American Revolution. Every colony has its stories of duels. Some of our country's founders even participated in them, most famously Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton. But the Cape Fear has its own fairly salacious one 
defined by the dispute between the two men holding the guns. In 1765, several months before the citizens of Brunswick Town and Wilmington staged one of the first armed rebellions against the British crown in response to the Stamp Act, two men met in the thick woods outside of the town and fought to the death over the hand of a woman. A woman whose name history has conveniently, but not so surprisingly, forgotten. It was a more brutal and bloodier duel than most that simply relied on guns. But who were the men pulling the triggers? Who was the woman they risked their lives to court? And how does a burgeoning community that's already teetering on the edge of war react to a vengeful duel of passion? We'll answer those questions and more on this episode of Berguin Wright Presents Cape Fear Legends and Lore. Joining the show today is Jim McKee, the site manager of Brunswick Town Fort Anderson State Historic Site in Winnebo. Jim, it is always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for being here. Oh, you're so welcome. It's always an honor and a pleasure to be here. Well, we are at Brunswick Town today, but we're not just at Brunswick Town. We are actually outside at Brunswick Town, per your suggestion, and we're going to reveal why we're outside in just a few moments. But we are talking duels today. And when we think about duels in our own time, I think we tend to romanticize them. I don't know if that's the right word, but we think about how duels are the opportunity to kind of step outside the law, take justice into our own hands. But what was the nature of dueling in colonial America? Because if you read about accounts today, it doesn't seem like everyone was on board with this. And it doesn't always seem like it might have been the best way. I think we can certainly say it wasn't the <laughs> no. best way no. to um, to carry out grudges and, and things. But was dueling cool in the colonial period or was it or was it something that people used as a last resort? It was it was a little bit of everything. But if you look at those who are dueling, it's more the planner class the upper echelons of society. They're the ones that are most concerned about dueling. And you know, rarely do you read a duel from two commoners. It's, it's rare, yeah. if ever. I, I've never, actually, come to think of it, I've never. Which makes sense because if you're a higher class person, history is going to remember more about you, which is why we have names, we have mm-hmm. places, we have the names of seconds and corners in the case right. of the duel we're going to talk about today. So somebody's writing down the history because of who you are. Actually, if you think, really think about it, the Simpson-Whitehurst duel was probably the lowest you know, class that you could find. I yeah. mean, these were two low, I won't say lowly lieutenants, but they were just lieutenants yeah. in the Navy. It's about defending something. It's and, about defending your honor. And people and who are higher society have more to defend, at least in their eyes. Exactly. They, they've got that pride. And... Aside from religion and money, pride has probably killed more people than anything else. Yeah, and that's at the heart of a duel because you really do have to be willing to risk everything in a sense to defend your honor, to defend whatever has sent you to this place where it is just you, another person, two guns, and carry out justice in a way that the law couldn't. Because as I said at the beginning of this episode— the law cannot protect your manhood. Right. And so dueling 
just as an institution, feels like we have taken it and thought more fondly about it than maybe even people who are doing it in their own time. It's like pirates. Yeah. I mean, it really is. And, and, and it, dueling, for the most part, was illegal. Yeah, that, well, that's uh, that was my the, case. That's yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, it was, Ill, it was on the books. Mm-hmm. In many places, it's illegal. And that's why you don't see them having duels pretty much in the middle of town. Because you'd think, if you're going to have this duel, you're going to want an audience to show how manly you are, to show how proud you are. No, no, they go off in the woods. They go off in a field somewhere. They're not where people can watch these. They're not the spectacles. Which is why you and I are sitting in the woods right now. Pretty much, Because we are sitting in the approximate location of the Simpson-Whitehurst duel, which is what you have referenced and what we're going to talk about today. And you're correct that we're not exactly sitting in the middle of a metropolitan area. We are sitting just to the right of St. Philip's Church, which was a huge part of Brunswick Town. Correct. And this duel takes place in 1765 when Brunswick Town has been built up. It's several decades it's, old at this point. It is. So and can it's you tell reaching people a little bit about it? Yeah, in 1765, Brunswick is beginning to reach its peak. It's, it's a year removed from being the new county seat of that new county, Brunswick. You know, for, for years, it was all New Hanover County. 1764, Brunswick gets its status back by being the county seat once again. Um, imports, exports, the royal governors are, the royal governors is established here, well established here. St. Philip's Church is nearly completed. And actually, Governor Dobbs is, is established, but he's also getting ready to leave and give up for a new governor, Governor Tryon. So there's a lot going on here in Brunswick. Yeah, and for those who don't live in the area or who have not visited Brunswick Town, which I encourage you to do so, Brunswick Town established 1725, 1726? 26. And it is 14 miles south of Wilmington on the Cape Fear River. Predates Wilmington. There you go. It predates Wilmington by a a decade and change. And it was a port. Mm -hmm. Just as Wilmington was built, it was a port. And so we aren't in a Boston we aren't no. in a Philadelphia here. No, no. So the fact that we are sitting where a duel is going to happen in 1765, you can hear around us. There's not much There's not around much here, noise. even in 2023. And so you're correct that they're not fighting their duel in the middle of town. They have right. taken it on the outskirts to settle their differences, which is really what a duel is. Now, we are talking about Lewis T. Moore's book, and he identifies the participants as Captain Alexander Simpson. Lieutenant. Lieutenant. And then Lieutenant Thomas Whitehurst. Now, can you tell me a little bit about who these men are prior to the duel, and who are they to Brunswick Town? Well, they're, they're Royal Navy officers, um, junior officers. Now, Simpson, uh, Simpson, we're still working on his history. He's almost a master um, on, on the ship. He has, he has influence. Um, he has knowledge. He is going to go on after all this. He's going to have a semi-illustrious career with the Navy for, for about another decade. Whitehurst, very little is known other than he's a junior officer. Did he rise from the ranks or, as custom was, did he purchase his rank? More than likely, he probably purchased his rank. You could do that at the time. You could do wow. that at a time. You could just bypass midshipmen and, and, and all that, and, and you could you know, go right into you know, junior officer. Talk about protecting 
your honor and protecting your status in society. I guess you could buy your, your military title. You buy your commissions. Yeah, you wow. buy your titles. It's fascinating. But the bottom line is they're both fairly young. Yeah, and, and that's and that's kind of what you alluded to because it's not, you know, the upper crust society that is dueling mm-hmm. here in Brunswick Town in seventeen sixty five. It is two junior officers who are trying to rise in the who ranks. Who are trying to rise. <laughs> exactly. We'll give them credit for that at least. Now, the other factor in this is the young woman they are supposedly dueling over. Now, in the accounts I've read, and specifically Lewis T. Moore's, he says that her name has not survived. I know you continue to do research. Have you ever found any information about this woman who sent two men to a duel? Other than supposedly her father had a tavern in Norfolk, Virginia. And I want to say it was uh, Whitehurst had it. No, Simpson had his eye on her. And they... Early on, because the the HMS Viper that they were stationed on, that that sloop, she was on the Carolina station. And she pretty much went from Charleston to Norfolk with a lot of time in between, which this is in between. And apparently Simpson and Whitehurst had had an argument prior to this here at Brunswick on one of their ports of call. They mended the fences. Uh, Viper leaves, goes to Norfolk. And in the meantime... Another officer comes into the picture, and he takes a liking, supposedly, to this young lady. And apparently Whitehurst had something to do with her. He had, a, had took a liking to her. Simpson had a, taken a liking to her. But supposedly Simpson, before they sail from Norfolk back up here in early March, he marries her. So somebody this, was very hurt that they were not invited right, to that wedding. This third officer, who's unnamed as of yet, kind of stirs things up between Whitehurst and Simpson. Now, in some of the accounts that I've read, it wants to make the distinction that this is not a product of the Stamp Act Rebellion. No, This comes not. several months before that, and and that is a huge component of, of Brunswick's story, uh, the armed revolt, the mm-hmm. armed resistance to the Stamp Act, which happens in the fall of 1765, and then certainly erupts into the armed rebellion here at uh, Russellboro against Royal Governor William Tryon in February of 1766. Correct. This predates all of this. This predates And it. that's a good point to make, though I did notice Louis T. Moore references information that he got for this from Alfred Moore Waddell's A History of New Hanover County, 1723 to 1800. And he says that Simpson sympathized with the Patriots and Whitehurst was pretty loyal to incoming Governor William Tryon. Is that true? Do we know if that might have been part of this animosity? Probably not. Okay. For the simple reason Tryon had been in the colony for a while to be lieutenant governor. Yeah, he was well known. Yeah, and he he was ready to come and take over. And Dobbs changed his mind, said, "No, I'm staying," because he was going to he was brought over so Dobbs could retire. Mm-hmm. Dobbs changed his mind and decided to be governor for a little bit longer. And then finally, in January, February, he decided, "Yeah, I'm going to retire, and I'm leaving around my birthday, which is April second, 1765." And yeah, as we know what happens, he has a seizure on March 28th and dies and is buried out here at St. Philip's Church. Under his favorite pew, correct? Probably. <laughs> probably. And on the day Dobbs is buried, April 2nd, Tryon is in Wilmington being inaugurated as lieutenant governor. Not governor. He's taking the oath as lieutenant governor. So 
through all this, Tryon, for all intent and purposes, is a non-factor. So really, Whitehurst wouldn't really have any working, real working knowledge of Tryon. And certainly not enough that it's going to send him to a duel over Correct. that. Correct. And and Simpson, based on what what we can find out about Simpson after the fact, Simpson's loyal. I mean, he stays in the Royal Navy. So, yeah, I, I don't think that really has anything. Any bearing. Any bearing. I just thought that was an interesting note that is made in, in both of those accounts that that it seems that the war, which hasn't even happened yet, is dividing this already. Right. But I think it's salacious enough that it's over a woman. Which a lot of duels were. Which, which were. <laughs> and, and, and if I'm not mistaken, this is the first recorded duel in North Carolina. Now let's talk about the actual duel itself. We know that they are both here at Brunswick Town. We are sitting, as I said, just to the right of St. Philip's Church. Is this believed to be the place where it is happening? Um, it's probably going to be about another... 100 feet north mm-hmm. from where we're sitting right now because they wouldn't actually do it on the church property. Yeah. And we're just off the lot, yeah. the church lot. So anywhere in this where we're sitting right now, it could have occurred. Now, the date listed is March 18th, 1765. Now, that's key because we were just talking about Royal Governor Arthur Dobbs. He that's dies right. March 28th. The last thing Dobbs officially works on as governor, is the Simpson-Wyhurst duel. Yeah. And the first, that's the last thing. The first thing Tryon has to do is deal with the Simpson-Wyhurst duel. This duel bridges two royal governors' tenures. It bridges the, the two governors. Wow. Well, the duel itself is particularly brutal. Oh, God. Uh, it is not only in the area where we are sitting, but it seems that Simpson, when they finally meet, Simpson shoots Whitehurst through the thigh, and breaks a, his femur. Breaks his femur and then approaches him and beats him with the butt of his pistol. Now, in Lewis T. Moore's telling, he beats him so hard with it that it broke the butt of his pistol. That doesn't seem like proper duel etiquette, even though this is an unlawful action already. The whole the whole duel is, is for the most part, unethical. You know, first off, they shouldn't have been dueling. Second, if they did duel, they're officers, they're gentlemen. They and British officers and British gentlemen, they should have fired to the side of each other or above each other. Just to show they were willing to do it. Correct. And that's often the the end result of a lot of duels. Right. Where you show you're willing to come to the site, you show up for it, you're willing to put it on the line, mm-hmm. you show that, you shoot up in the air, you shake hands, differences have been settled. Right. That's not what's happened here. This is a duel of passion, if nothing this else. This is a duel of passion. And, yeah, they, and, I've, and I've, looked, I've tried to look at this from both angles, literally pointing a gun in the mirror at 10 paces to see what it looks like. Because pretty much when, you, when, when they straighten their arms out at each other, you know, you can look, and I've looked at 10 paces, and, and even without my glasses on, I can tell if I'm going to hit me or not with that pistol. If I'm if I'm straight on, or if I'm a little bit to the side or up. Yeah, ten paces is not as many paces as people are going to think. Not as many as you think, yeah. right? So apparently, neither one of them was going to back down. Divert, yeah, back down and divert their fire. So they fire at the same time. Whitehurst's gun misfires, doesn't go off, goes click, doesn't even have a flash in the pan, and. Simpson 
realizing fires and shoots him in the leg. So he he deliver he probably deliberately dropped his aim just a little bit and hit him in the thigh, broke his femur. Duel's over. I win. Turn around, start to walk away to a second. That's when Whitehurst leans up. He's still on the ground. Recocks his pistol, points it, pulls the trigger, and shoots Simpson in the back. Hits him in the shoulder blade. It ricochets off the shoulder blade and exits under his right arm. It was a through and through, which Lewis T. Moore does know. Right. So that was enough to just really tick Simpson off. He turns, charges Whitehurst, who's defenseless at this point. He's got an empty gun, and he can't stand up, and commenced to beat him to death. Now, when I say beat him to death, he beat him senseless. Didn't kill him. Not right away. He lingered for a day or so before he succumbed to his wounds. But yes, he beat him so hard it broke the butt of his pistol. Just imagine being in a duel, tensions flaring, emotions high, your adrenaline's rushing, and you are shot in the leg, you know, breaks your femur. You then muster enough energy to shoot back that person is shot through the shoulder, they turn around and then physically beat you. One, there is a lot of anger and, and passion, as we said, between these two men, because dueling is not up close and personal. That's mm-hmm. the whole thing. You, you go to your corners and you, you do it at a distance. But the fact that Simpson approaches him and then beats him is very personal. Oh, yeah. And, again, not very good dueling etiquette, but it does end in Whitehurst's death. At this point, the story that I've read is that Simpson goes on the run. He's actually arrested. Oh, okay. He's arrested and charged with willing, willingful murder. And he either escapes or, because he's an officer and a gentleman, he's, he's held, he's charged, and then he's released. Supposedly to go back to a ship. Well, on March 27th, he bolts. He's right gone. before Dobbs dies. The day before Dobbs dies. Yeah. Yes, the day before. So Dobbs dies, and the first thing Tryon does after the funeral, who he's not even at Dobbs' funeral. He's, in, like I said, in Wilmington taking the oath. He comes, and the first thing he's got to do is find Simpson. So he figures he's going to Norfolk to find his wife whose father owns the tavern. Right, because supposedly she's still in Norfolk. So he assumes he's going to Norfolk. He gets up with Governor Fauquier of Virginia and tells him, look, there's a 50-pound reward for this guy. Which was good money at the time. Which is good money back then. There's a 50-pound reward for this guy. Uh, If you get him, send him back. Well, and the reason that we are, are involving Dobbs and Tryon is merely proximity. That's it. They were so close. Russell Burrow is yards from us. I mean, there is, there's a chance that this duel could be a stain on both of their legacies if they don't address it because of just how close they are to the action. Here at Brunswick Town, Brunswick Town's not that big. No, it's not. Yeah. It's really not. They did it in the governor's backyard in a way. Actually, his front yard. His front yard, that's true. That's true. <laughs> literally his front yard. That's true. Yeah, yeah, literally, almost literally in the front yard. And yeah, and Tryon has not has yet to establish himself at Brunswick. He has not officially moved in yet, but it's coming. He's new. He's got to do something. He's got to stand tall. So they assume he is in Virginia. Now, this is when the story kind of just 
meets at least this end because it says that Simpson surrenders. He does. Do we know why he surrenders? Just because he feels he can't outrun this? There is an acknowledgement that he is wounded as well. And there's the acknowledgement that he's wounded. For back then, that's a serious wound. Yeah, shot in the arm, even if the bullet's not still in you, it is still going to be. Even if the bullet's not in you, the material from your jacket and shirt, some of that is in you, and he's probably got infection. And let's not forget, we're in the colonial period. You're not being shot with a smooth bullet. These are crude balls that you are being hit with. This is just going to make for a nasty wound. It is. To be on the run, to not be seen seeking medical attention, people talk in ports. And then they share the information. That's how this network of bounties work. Right. And so Simpson turns himself in, and he is put on trial. Now, the trial seems to happen around October, right? Yes. Sometime in towards the end of September, I think it is, is what I've been able to find, is when he surrenders. And then the trial is in Wilmington in October. And he is found guilty of manslaughter, which is far better than what he could have been. Not murder, which right. is important, because one thing you'll notice, Lewis Timor includes information on the, the docket. He includes mm-hmm. the jurors. He the includes judge. The, the judge. Everything. And the judge has an interesting story I'm going to acknowledge in just a second. And there are some very big names on this docket, uh, including Morris Moore, who is the son of the founder of Brunswick Town here. So, but he is a big deal in the colony. Yes, because he's on the he's on he's in the General Assembly, and he's now a judge. It shows that people are paying attention, and certainly Tryon. Tryon is the one who issues that bounty, correct? The fifty pounds. Right. He wants to make sure that the first thing in his governorship is tied up with a neat bow. Now, it is not tied up with a neat bow. It is tied up with a brand. Because the punishment for manslaughter, not murder, he escaped his murder charge. The punishment for manslaughter is the letter M being branded on his left thumb. Correct. Why? They could have branded him anywhere. A lot of times it's, it's, it's a branding in the thumb area, but it's usually in that fleshy part between the thumb and the forefinger. Or in the palm between the thumb and the forefinger. I think that's probably where it is and not just on his thumb because that's a that's a little bitty brand. And also easy to conceal. Easy to conceal, yeah. And this is, you know, a branding in this way is so that people never escape their crime. You but can't if, hide it, but you can hide it on If your you thumb. put it on your thumb, that feels like you're giving him an out in a way. <laughs> that you punished him, but you gave him a way to kind of hide his thumb and then he can kind of move on from this. But you can also, it'd be painful, but you can also scrape that scar off. It's, just cut it off. Yeah, the same way people try to get rid of their fingerprints. Get their, their fingerprints, exactly. I just, I feel like that's giving him kind of an out. Right. You but, have been punished, You all of this, but we're going to brand your thumb. And today that does seem so small. No, certainly wouldn't feel good at the moment. It's not going to feel good at the moment. But it is certainly going to not be a branding on the hand or the hmm. arm or the cheek in some places, which was a practice for enslaved workers. Yep. And so... And army deserters. Exactly. And so Simpson is getting leniency. He's getting it's, a slap on the wrist. It, exactly. Plain and simple. He's getting a brand on the thumb. A slap on the wrist. And that's how this duel ends. Now, do we know what happens to Simpson after the trial? After the trial, um, there are records. He ends up in the Pacific, still with the Royal Navy, on various surveying Voyages. So he wasn't even removed from military service. No, no. 
which I guess at this point, you wouldn't want to get rid of a man from service when you were on the cusp of war. Correct. But they don't know they're on the cusp of war. They see the unrest by the end of by the end of 1766 yes well by the end well by september of 65 yes they're starting to see unrest but it's nothing they haven't seen before and the stamp act really allows the colonists to show their oats for the first time and get away with it mm-hmm. and that's really what happens here in february they they commit high treason and get away with it now a part of this trial is related to the judge judge Barry. Now, in Lewis T. Moore's account, he does a bit of myth-busting himself, where he acknowledges that there's been tales of this duel that have included the judge who, two months after it is over, kills himself. Right. Tryon issues a statement saying that he has killed himself. They do an autopsy, and they diagnose him, I guess post-mortem, with lunacy. That's the description for how, description how you can do a, how you can find lunacy in a colonial postmortem. I have no idea, and that is again very dismissive of what I'm sure this man was going through. But there was an attempt to almost place the blame for his suicide on guilt over this duel. Yeah. It does not seem to be that case. Is that what you have found? Yeah, I don't. I don't think him making that decision on on the case has anything to do with it. We have to acknowledge that this judge was seeing more than one case. And he had a life outside of this duel, even if it took up all the air in the Cape Fear at the time. But you also got to look at what's going on in the Cape Fear when this trial takes place. We are in the very beginnings of the Stamp Act crisis. Mm -hmm. There's already protests. The stamps haven't even gotten here. And there's already protest. There's already unrest. And it's just going to get worse, especially once the stamps get here. Do you think that Simpson benefited from bigger fish to fry in this area as, so. as things start to kind of unravel? I do, and, and which is amazing because you know, the only reason that trial took place was because the stamps had not gotten here yet. Once the stamps get to the Cape Fear, even though they're not unloaded, everything by law was supposed to shut down. But the, the importance of this duel happening here, it is happening at a pivotal time in the development of the Cape Fear, the founding of the Cape Fear. And you see people really take an interest in it. And you revealed to me that Whitehurst is buried here. Where is he buried? We, we're not exactly sure, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking he is on the south side, in the yard on the south side of the church. He could be on the west side, but I think he's probably in the main cemetery on the, on the, west, I mean, on the south side there. Unfortunately, uh, we, we don't know the full extent of the graveyard out here, but we do know he's buried out here. Yeah, And as you mentioned earlier, at least alluded to, he's not the only person who participated in a duel that is buried out here. You also have former governor Benjamin, Benjamin Smith, Smith, namesake of Smith Island, which Smithville. is now Baldhead Smithville, yep. which is now Southport. Uh, Southport, a very influential man who lived the majority of his life with a ball from a duel in his body, correct? In his hip. Yep. Yep. And so Whitehurst is at least in good dueling company out here. Were there any other duels that ever happened at Brunswick Town? Not that we know of, but we, we do know of a near duel. Okay. And it just happened to include, before he becomes Judge Morris Moore. 
So part of the trial for Simpson. Right. He, uh, in 1762, I believe it is, the Royal Navy seized a ship that was carrying illicit liquors, and they brought it into Brunswick to, to go through the Admiralty Court. And Moore apparently had an interest in the vessel, ordered it released, which took away prize money from the Royal Navy captain who seized the vessel. And several weeks later, the captain was at Cape Lookout in his vessel, and he had the cutter launched, and he had came to Brunswick, not in his ship, but in a, in a smaller vessel, and came into town looking for Morris Moore and went to his house. Moore wasn't home, so he started walking up the street and ran right into Moore. We don't know if they threatened duel or did anything like that, but somebody said something about somebody's mother and the fisticuffs occurred. And when the dust settled, Judge Moore had broken Captain Jedediah Morgan's arm and sent him scurrying off, which a year or so later, when Moore was in Newburn with the General Assembly, Captain Morgan approached him and sent a note challenging him to a duel, which Moore laughed off. So what we've learned today is do not insult someone's mother and do not try to steal someone's betrothed. Betrothed, right. And I wasn't serious about someone saying something about somebody's mother, but no, no, it no, sounds but good. At the time, I mean, you know, it does seem to be that tempers run hot at this yes, time. Yes, there was a lot of hotheads. Even back then, we, you know, we've got hotheads now, but back then, hotheadedness could kill you. And back then, it might not have been legal but dueling was something that people did resort to. And so people can joke today that they should bring back the duel so that everyone can settle their differences. That is not what should happen. It wasn't cool then. It's not not cool cool now. now. This particular type of, you know, face-off, it never ends well for the person who wins. You don't walk off into the sunset with your arm raised. Mm -mm. You're on the run. That's been the case with several people or in this area. you're ostracized. What might be even worse than being on the run, you're ostracized. Yeah. Aaron Burr. Exactly. And so this is a great reminder that dueling is is not the, the way no, to go. No. Um, but it's also, historically, it never worked out well for the victor. No, it didn't. Especially in this case of Simpson and Whitehurst. It was so brutal. You can't really escape the reputation that is forged uh, at 10 paces. And yeah. that's that's the valuable lesson, if nothing else. Well, Jim, thank you so much. It's always You're a welcome. pleasure. I would encourage everyone to come visit Brunswick Town, Fort Anderson State Historic Site here in Winnebo. You've got a full list of events coming in 2023. So come out, see the site. As I said, it has a significant influence on Wilmington, things that you would see at the Bergwin Wright House. And so... Uh, we are sister sites in many ways. Yes, we and are. So uh, yes, I'm we glad are. we were able to talk dueling. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate it. You're welcome. My pleasure. That's it for this episode of Bergwin Wright Presents Cape Fear Legends and Lore. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll be back in two weeks with our next episode where we will explore the fact versus fiction in another chapter of Lewis T. Moore's Stories Old and New of the Cape Fear region. Until then, be sure to subscribe to this podcast by searching Bergwin Wright Presents on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. You can also visit us at the Bergwin Wright House in Wilmington. Monday through Saturday, we give tours of the site, 
that will expose you to a fascinating history of North Carolina in colonial America. And while you're there, you can also pick up a copy of Stories Old and New of the Cape Fear Region, which is now available in our gift shop. And be sure to follow the Berguin Wright House and Gardens on all social media platforms, including Facebook and Instagram, for the latest on what we're doing at the site. As a nonprofit, this podcast and all the exciting projects done at the Berguin Wright House are made possible by donations and community support. Please consider making a donation, or better yet, join our membership program with exclusive perks and tours. All the money raised goes towards the further education and preservation of Wilmington's oldest historic site. For more information, visit our website in each episode's description or at bergwinwrighthouse.com. And thank you so much for your support. This podcast is written, edited, and hosted by me, Hunter Ingram. We would like to thank Durable Restoration Company for sponsoring the podcast this season. And we would also like to take a moment to thank Rachel Ross for our cover art and the National Society of the Colonial Dames of America in the state of North Carolina for their continued support. See you next time on Berguin Wright Presents Cape Fear Legends and Lore.